0: It is a great privilege to be here, to be back here. Um, as Pastor John uh, referenced, our family has had a connection here at Christ Legacy for a long, long time. Um, I was a kid, a teenager, when we first uh, made connections here with Christ Legacy. And, uh, and just want to say thank you again. Thank you, yes, for standing behind us as a church and you support us in missions and what God has called us to do around the world. But I want to say even way beyond that, thank you for how much you you as a church have been a blessing to our family, the Stamps family, my mom and my dad and siblings. Over the years, you guys have been a tremendous blessing to us, and so I want to thank you for that. And let you know how much we appreciate that and love you and it is in fact an honor to be here uh, uh, for that reason and others as well and uh, we're excited as uh, uh, you as a church are preparing to launch or you have launched into a new chapter uh, with the elliots here as your lead pastors and we're excited about what god is going to do and know that god is going to continue to bless and use you in this church uh, as you move forward for god's kingdom I want to, uh, it's a special privilege for me as well. This is kind of a unique uh, Sunday for me as I itinerate. As you know, we're back this year and traveling around to all kinds of churches and sharing about what we do in Portugal. But uh, usually it's either just me or me and my wife or me and our youngest son, Paul. But I actually have uh, all three of my sons here today uh, with me uh, visiting as well as my father-in-law. So I'm going to ask my family if you just stand real quick so everybody can just greet you but it's good to have them all here uh, this Sunday. And uh, I have to say for my father-in-law, you know, as a missionary, um, I take my wife and my children and travel all around the world and live around the world. And my father-in-law has let me do that. He's let me take his daughter and his grandsons all around the world. Uh, and I think he still likes me. So, uh, Thank you, Dad. Um, I wanted to just share a little bit about us and uh, what we do. Uh, we serve, as was already mentioned, in the country of Portugal. And uh, many of you probably are familiar, of course, with our family. My parents' background serving as missionaries in Brazil. And so, of course, I grew up in Brazil and learned the Portuguese language there. And so, uh, at a certain point, God has, uh, you know, about 10 years ago, we were pastoring, but God spoke to us about going overseas and and serving in the Portuguese-speaking world. And so uh, that's what we're doing, and that's one of the reasons we're in Portugal. Uh, Just a little bit about Portugal. Of course, you know it's a European country. It's on the Iberian Peninsula next to Spain. Um, About 10 to 11 million people uh, call it home. It's a place where the church, in some form or another, has been for a long, long time. But, you know, uh, how many of you know that there is a, a difference between knowing about Jesus and the gospel and knowing Jesus personally, and the work that he came to do in our lives. And so as we go and minister there, there are lots and lots of people in Portugal, they've heard the name of Jesus, but um, we believe that every single person needs to personally know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And so we have that privilege uh, of serving there. One of the primary ways that we minister is through uh, training and equipping the next generation of pastors and leaders for the church in Portugal and the greater Portuguese-speaking world. I do that through uh, teaching at our Bible school there uh, just outside of Lisbon, Mount Hope Bible Institute. And uh, we have the privilege of Uh, watching God as he calls young people. I, I say young people, mostly young people. Some are a little older in life, but they feel God asking them to go into ministry. And so they come to our school and we get to pour our lives into them and encourage them and teach them and equip them in the scriptures and in ministry. And then watch them as God takes them and launches them out into various places around Portugal and even beyond that, around the world. One of the neat things about the Bible school that we teach at is That uh, about half of our students are Portuguese, uh, but we have about a quarter of our students are Brazilian. There's a large population of Brazilians there in Portugal, and so we have Brazilians there. A lot of people don't realize that there's a lot of African countries. There's several African countries that are Portuguese-speaking as well. So about a quarter of our students come from various African countries. So we have a tremendously great, diverse uh, student body, and we get to watch as they graduate and they launch out into ministry and they're planting churches In Portugal, in places where we don't have any of our Assemblies of God churches, they're planting Portugal's back in Africa, many of them where they come from, or uh, different places around the world. So we we get the privilege of of equipping and training and watching what God does to expand his kingdom in Portugal and the greater Portuguese-speaking world through our students. Uh, In addition to teaching, I'm also uh, the representative for Global University in portugal many of you might be familiar with global university resources for discipleship and and ministry training uh just recently was asked by the bible school to also direct their uh what i guess what we call their continuing education program for our pastors that are graduated now out pastoring um for them to continue to be educated and trained and equipped uh, to grow in their development as ministers and so i'll be directing that as we go back and in addition to that Uh, We're involved in our local church. We live about half hour outside of Lisbon uh, in a town called Mafra, and we, of course, are part of a church there, and our pastor um, uh, has uh, had a heart for a community of people who live around us uh, for a number of years, and this is what we would call English-speaking expats, or these are non-Portuguese people that live in the area. They don't speak Portuguese. Uh, They're either English speaking because that's their first language. Uh, They're either American, British, Australian, or they speak English as a second language and come from various countries around the world. But they don't speak Portuguese. So our pastor has seen this growing population around us and said, how how can we minister to them? How can we reach them? Well, when our family arrived and began attending the church, he kind of saw an answer to that. And so he asked us to uh, initiate a ministry to the English-speaking community uh, uh, around us. And really, a little bit about that. We live about uh, five miles from the, from the ocean. And right there on the ocean, there's a, uh, a town that historically has been a kind of a small fishing village. But in the last decade or two, it has become a hub for surfers who come from all around the world to surf the waves. Apparently, the waves uh, are tremendous. I'm really not much of a surfer. I've taken a couple lessons, but really the waves are a little too advanced for a beginner like me uh, there where we live. And so there's this growing population of people who are coming and living there. And um, so we're gonna, when we go back, Lord willing, we're going to initiate some sort of ministry to, to minister to them, to bring Jesus to them. And we don't know exactly what that's going to look like, but we believe that God has a plan for that. Aren't you thankful that God loves every person of every community, of every uh, distinction that we can imagine? And he has a plan for them to know him. And so we believe that God is going to use us uh, in that. So we ask that you be praying for us as we get ready to go back. We need to get back uh, by around August 1st. So that's coming up here real quick. So we ask that you just pray that we'll have everything ready to go here in a couple of months. And as we say, uh, mention prayer, we do have some prayer cards We'll make available to you after the service. We hope you'll, you'll uh, find us and then pick up one of these, has some information where you can connect with us and, and our ministry. But pray for us. Uh, we need prayer. We go overseas, but what we're doing we cannot do in our own strength, as we all know. We need God's help, and we believe as you pray for us, he will help us and enable us to do what he wants us to do. And just a note, only our youngest made the prayer card this time. The two oldest sons, uh, they're already out of the house, so they didn't make the prayer card. But you can still pray for them. Uh, anyway, so, but uh, thank you. Thank you for that. I want to ask us to uh, open in our, uh, in our Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 24. And I know we uh, just had uh, Easter about a month ago, I guess it is now. Um, but Luke chapter 24, of course, is Luke's account of the resurrection. Uh, Of jesus christ from the dead and and i'm going to preach from that this morning because i'm going to assume that no one here is Tired of hearing about jesus being alive, right? Matter of fact, if you look in the new testament, that was the message of the apostles everywhere they went Jesus has risen from the dead and he is alive and because of that we have hope Um, Luke chapter 24 as we look at this passage of scripture um, I'm not going to look specifically at the resurrection, but what immediately followed on that same day, beginning in verse 13. Because what we find here is a story that is no doubt very familiar to many of us. And that is the encounter of Jesus, now resurrected from the dead, with two men, two disciples, who were traveling on, from Jerusalem to Emmaus. It's Jesus' encounter on the road to Emmaus. And what we find there is we find these two men, these two disciples, they're walking and they're traveling, but they are troubled. They are disturbed. As a matter of fact, in just the few days previous, all of Jerusalem had been troubled by what had happened with the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, when we think about these disciples, the followers of Jesus, those who believed in him as the Messiah, their hopes, their, uh, their hope and expectation of the Messiah coming had been totally shattered when Jesus was crucified. When he was rejected by his own people, by his own spiritual leaders, he was rejected, uh, he was rejected and killed and crucified and their hopes were shattered. And so Jesus encounters these two disciples in a very troubled place in their life. I probably don't have to tell you, but how many of you know we live in a troubled world? We're living in some troubling times. And it might seem if you've, kind of viewed the world as I have the last couple of years, it almost seems like these last couple of years have been particularly troubling. At least I know in my 50 years of living, I don't think I've gone through a couple of years uh, that has been has as troubled in our world. Of course, we've gone through the pandemic and hopefully we're really coming out of that, but I know we have gone through that uh, for a couple of years that has shaken the whole world. Um, we have... Uh, gone through. I know even here in America, culturally, it's some upheaval as we've seen societal upheaval here in America. That's been very troubling. Uh, Now, as we are facing in recent uh, months, um, now really the most unstable time in Europe since the end of World War II, and we look at this, and we know that we live in a troubled world. And sometimes we might say, well, it seems like the days we live in are more troublesome than normal. And perhaps they are. I think it kind of comes and goes and wanes. But really, throughout human history, since sin has come into the world, we live in a trouble, troubled, broken world. And what I want to leave us here with this morning is that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came into this world to be a, the hope for the troubled world and the troubled times in which we live. And that's what I believe we see here in this passage of scripture when Jesus appears to these two troubled disciples. Let's begin reading in verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things he asked about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. They encountered Jesus, the living resurrected Savior, on the road to Emmaus, but they didn't, at least at this point, didn't recognize him. Now what I want us to look at here is Jesus' response to these two disciples, because this never ceases to amaze me. It's actually pretty amazing, because, you know, if you find someone that is heartbroken, that is downtrodden, that is troubled, that has experienced a tremendous disappointment in their life, and you know that you have the answer where you can lift them from their hopelessness, it seems obvious to me that you should just help them which Jesus does, but he does it in a roundabout way because the simplest way to restore the hope for these two disciples who had just witnessed their Messiah be crucified and in their minds, now he's dead and what happened to their hope is just to simply say, here I am, I'm Jesus. I am alive, just like the women reported and they would be restored in their hope. But Jesus doesn't do that. Instead, physically He hid himself from them, or their eyes were not able to physically recognize him. And this is his response. Let's pick up in verse 25. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning Himself. What did Jesus do when he responded to these disciples who shared why they were heartbroken and downtrodden? He pointed them to the word of God. He pointed them to the scripture. Matter of fact, he almost seems a little insensitive here because he says, come on, guys, how foolish can you be? You're just telling me that this person, Jesus, you believed him in the Messiah, but then he was rejected by his own and he was crucified and he was buried. And now you've heard some strange report that his body's no longer in the tomb. He says, have you read your scriptures? Because if you read your scriptures, you'll find that what you described is exactly what God said would happen to the Messiah. You see the Jesus that we preach is the Jesus of scriptures. Now, that's important. That's very important because not every so-called profession of Jesus is true to the scriptures. A lot of people know and have heard about Jesus, but sometimes in people's minds, the Jesus that they know and that they believe in is a Jesus of some tradition of some kind. That may or may not line up with the scriptures. But see, Jesus took them to the scriptures. He says, look at the prophets. And it says that he began. Now imagine this. They're walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus. It's seven miles. So probably for the greater part of seven miles, Jesus begins opening the scriptures to them. And it says he started with Moses. Moses. Right at the very beginning of the old testament and he took him through all the prophets all the way through malachi all the old testament scriptures and he says he went to passage after passage pointing out that the messiah would come that he would be born a miraculous birth born of a virgin that he would live that he would perform miracles that he would preach the truth that he would bring hope that he would cast out demons but then that he would be rejected that he would be crucified and yes, rise again on the third day. He took them all through the scriptures and said, look guys, this is exactly what the scriptures say when the Messiah comes is gonna happen. The Jesus of the scriptures is who Jesus pointed them to. Now you think, why didn't he just reveal himself and say, take the scales from their eyes, so to speak, and say, here I am, I'm alive, don't be disheartened. He took them instead to the word of God, why? Because I believe that God wants us to believe his word more than he wants us to believe even our own eyes. It's called living by faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. The word of God is true and can be trusted. And so the Jesus that we preach and the Jesus that we teach is the Jesus as found in scripture because it's only the Jesus as found in scripture that is the hope for the world in which we live. Not the Jesus of some tradition that we might make of our own. It's not the Jesus of some contemporary acceptability that fits into our culture today. It's not the Jesus of my own liking or making, where I pick out the parts of him that fit me, but kind of reject the parts that I may not like so much. The Jesus of the scriptures is what must be preached because that is the only Jesus that brings true hope to our world. I want us to continue on here. Let's continue in verse 28. And as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were open, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Now, this is amazing. Now, imagine this. You're, you're getting down. You're at the end of the seven-mile journey. This man that you've been walking with has just opened the Scriptures to you, and now you're pondering, wow, could it be that this man Jesus who was crucified actually is the Messiah? It's getting late, and as you know, you don't want to travel late at night out on the roads of, uh, of Israel because of bandits and other dangers. So they say, look, why don't you come in, stay with us, we'll have a meal, we can continue the conversation. So Jesus says, okay, I'll go in. So he sits down to eat with them, and as he begins to break the bread and share it with them, it says that their eyes were suddenly opened, and they realized that it was Jesus. That, in fact, they had been walking and talking with the resurrected Savior, the Messiah who had just died for their sins, the Messiah that had conquered death and the grave. He was alive, and they were sitting at a table with him. And then immediately, as soon as they recognized him, he disappeared from their sight. Now, I love what the scriptures say after that happened. It says that they looked to each other, and they said to one another the very same thing. Now, how many of you... Um, probably have had the experience where you know someone so well that when you're in a setting, and there's a lot of times I think this happens with husbands husbands and wives because we get to know each other so well, is that you're in a setting somewhere and something happens or someone says something and you both look at each other and you both know exactly what you're both thinking, right? Sometimes this happens. I think that's what happened with these two disciples. They looked at each other and said this, you felt that too, right? When we were walking I mean, I know what I was feeling, but I bet you know what you felt too, right? When we walked and he was talking to us and he was opening the scriptures to us, there was something in our heart that was burning inside of us. Our hearts were burning inside of us. You see, why is that? Because though their eyes did not recognize that they were walking with the, in the very presence of God, in their hearts, in their spirits, I believe that they, they felt it and they knew it. You see, the Jesus that is the hope of the world, yes, he is the Jesus as found and revealed in scriptures, but he is much more than that even. He is the Jesus whose presence is with us now. You see, they were walking in the presence of the Jesus of the scriptures, and their eyes didn't recognize it, but their hearts did, so it was burning and stirring inside of them. You know, when the scriptures talk about the heart, I know in our, our our. culture, our Western culture, a lot of times we talk about the heart. It really is more like about emotions and love. You know, when you go to Valentine's Day and you got the little image of the heart and, and when the scripture talks about the heart, it does refer to our emotions. It's where the seat of our emotions, but you know, it's even more than that. It's where our will comes from. It's where our desires come from. I like to put it this way. When the scriptures talk about the human heart, it's talking about the deepest part of our being. Whatever makes Todd, Todd, that's my heart. Whatever makes you, you, that is your heart. And they said in the very deepest part of our being, something was stirring, something was burning. And now we know why. We were walking in the presence of the living savior. You know that Jesus, before he ascended back up to the father, he said to his disciples, I will never leave you or forsake you. He said, yes, I'm going back to the father. But don't worry, I'm not leaving you as orphans. I'm not leaving you alone. As a matter of fact, it's good that I return to the Father because if I return to the Father, then I'm going to send my Holy Spirit and my Spirit, the very Spirit of God, will be with you and will be in you anywhere and everywhere you go. That means the presence of Jesus Christ is here with us today. As believers in Jesus Christ, His His presence is with us. And our hearts ought to be stirred. Our hearts ought to burn with us when we come together and we worship. There ought to be something in our hearts that senses the presence of God working and moving in us, transforming us, changing us, drawing him to himself. We believe that the Jesus, yes, of the scriptures, but it's the Jesus that can be experienced personally by every one of us as we believe in him and trust in him. That's the Jesus that we preach, a Jesus that is present with us today, a Jesus whose presence is with us. I want us to continue on in verse 36, or let's continue in verse 33, rather. Well, they did what would only make sense to do after they realized that they had just been in the presence of Jesus, the living Savior. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem, verse 33. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. And verse 36, And while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them, and said to them, peace be with you. Let's jump down to verse 44. And he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. And he told them, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. The resurrected Savior, the hope of the world. He's the Jesus' in scripture. He is the Jesus whose presence is with us. But he is also the Jesus whose message must be proclaimed in all the world. Jesus must be proclaimed in all the world. He showed up amongst them as they were gathered together. The two disciples went back to Jerusalem. They made it back, no doubt, in record time. Now, remember, it's dark now. Well, you don't want to be traveling, but, you know, when you've met the resurrected Jesus, it kind of changes everything. Your plans change. Your life changes. It's time to, to move on to something else. So they turn around. They go back to Jerusalem. They look up the disciples. They find that Jesus has actually appeared to, to Simon Peter by now. And they said, yes, we know. Simon Peter has seen him. And then as they're gathered there, Jesus suddenly appears in their midst, and he says, peace. And then he explains to him again, look, this is exactly what I said was going to happen. And he took him to the scriptures again and said, just like the scriptures say, I'm alive. But you know what? He didn't stop there. He said, you know, the scriptures said that I was going to come and I was going to do all these things and I was going to rise from the dead. But he said, the scriptures also say something else about me and my disciples. He says this. Verse 47. Verse 47 and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Jesus said, just like the scriptures were fulfilled in my coming, in my life, ministry, death, and resurrection, the scriptures also proclaim that now in my name, This gospel, this good news, that I am the hope of the world is going to be proclaimed to every nation. And guess who's going to do it? He looked at his disciples and he said, you. You are my witnesses. And we know that 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 first generation, the apostles, did just that. They went out and they began to spread the gospel. They went out and proclaimed Jesus. They went out and shared the gospel far and wide. And then finally, when the apostles and that generation passed away, they left another generation behind them who continued to proclaim that Jesus Christ, the hope of the world, is alive. And then another generation and another generation until we finally come to 2022. And guess what? We continue to be his witnesses. We continue to be his witnesses. And you know what? I may not have ever physically seen with my eyes the resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ, You know what? I have the same thing that the disciples on the road to Emmaus had. I had his word that is true. I have the presence of his Holy Spirit that surrounds me and lives in me. We have the presence of God that is with us as his people. And we are witnesses for Jesus Christ. Shortly before coming back, Here to the U.S., as you might be familiar with in the Assemblies of God, the way our missions work is we go overseas typically for four years at a time and then we come back to the States for a year and we kind of give updates to churches and we raise the funds that are needed for us to be able to go back. And uh, right before we uh, came back here to the States, we had just fortunately kind of come out of another lockdown in Portugal. Um, from, from COVID, so we could kind of get out and meet, and, and we have a regular Lisbon area-wide pastors' gatherings that I try to go to when I, when I can, and so we finally, we hadn't met for a couple of years, and finally we were open enough to do that, and so I went and met, gathered with fellow pastors from around Lisbon, and they knew that I was getting ready to come back to the States, and so they asked me just to kind of greet them and explain a little bit about why we come back to the States as we do before we go back uh, again to join them in Portugal. And, and I, so I was sharing a little bit, and I thought as I'm sitting there, I've had my fellow Portuguese pastors and leaders, and I said, you know, I'm going to be sharing in churches all across America about Portugal and the church and what, the work we do. What would you like me to share with your American brothers and sisters, the church in America? And, uh, our general superintendent of the Assemblies of God, he was there that day, and uh, he said, would you tell them thank you? Tell the American church, thank you. Thank you for sending missionaries. Thank you for standing with us for the spread of the kingdom of God in Portugal and beyond. So I bring that message to you from our general superintendent, Pastor Paulo Branco. who says, thank you. Thank you for being a church that cares about, Pastor John, as you mentioned, taking the gospel far and wide around the world. And then another one of our pastors said, would you tell the church in America that God is doing good things here? It can be a challenging place to share the gospel. The reality is that most of the people in Portugal really are what we call secularized. That means that they simply, they might believe in God, they might not believe in God, but whether they do or don't, they really don't give God much place in their lives. They don't think he has much bearing in their lives. And so they go on living their lives, maybe basically as if God isn't really involved in their lives. It's a difficult place sometimes but they say God is doing good things. People are getting saved. People are coming to Christ. People's lives are being changed and transformed. The church is growing, is advancing. So I bring that message to you. God is doing good things in Portugal and we're believing for even greater things. And finally, one of our our pastors said, would you ask the church in America to pray for us? But the specific prayer request that he asked for, he said, would you pray, would you ask the American church to pray with us for a move of God's Holy Spirit upon all of our churches? Isn't that what we need? Even here in America, we need a supernatural move of God's Spirit so that when we come together and when we proclaim Jesus Christ, that we see lives transformed from the heart, from the inside out. That is what only God's Holy Spirit can do. So would you pray with us? Would you pray for us? Would you pray with us? Pray for our pastors and our churches in Portugal? Would you pray for all the students that come to our Bible school? That they would come in, that they would, yes, learn the Scriptures and the Word of God, but they would also experience personally a powerful move of God's Holy Spirit in their life so as they go out and proclaim the gospel, they'll be able to proclaim it in power just like Jesus said that we would, that we would proclaim this gospel message in power so that the lives of people would be changed and transformed for all eternity. I want to ask us, if you would, if you would just bow your heads with me. And I want to pray, ask you to pray with us for Portugal. But I also want to pray for you because the reality is that When we talk about a troubled world, sometimes we can, you know, look at the big picture like I've mentioned. COVID that affects the world and uh, um, social upheaval and wars that are happening. And certainly we pray for that. But you know what? Personally, individually in our lives, we also go through times and seasons of trouble. And no doubt in this room today, there are some who are personally going through a time of trouble and difficulty and challenge in your life, whether it be a physical illness, maybe it's a financial challenge, maybe it's a family matter. Can I just tell you that Jesus Christ is alive and he's here today by his Holy Spirit and he loves you. And I believe he wants to minister, he wants to heal, he wants to touch you, he wants to change you, he can forgive. You know, Jesus said that when we go into the world and proclaim Him, we're actually specifically supposed to preach repentance and forgiveness of sins. You know, the greatest trouble really in all the world that we experience is our own personal sin, isn't it? The fact that I, Todd, am a sinner, that I have sinned against God. Jesus said, that's exactly why I came. I came to die in your place. I came to be your sacrifice so that if you believe in me, your sins will be forgiven. You just simply need to believe in me. Repent, acknowledge your sins. God, I am guilty. God, would you forgive me? And when we do that through Jesus Christ and his blood and his sacrifice, God comes and he restores us in our relationship with him. That's the greatest trouble that God comes to solve through his son, Jesus Christ. So whatever it might be, if there's anything in your life, just look to Jesus, look to him in faith. Father, I pray, O Lord, this morning, first of all, coming with thanksgiving, O Lord, that you did come into this world as the Son of God, that you lived, that you died, that you rose again, conquering death, conquering the grave, conquering sin for us. Thank you, Lord, that you've given us your word where we find you, where we find your truth. Thank you, Father, for the presence of your Holy Spirit that is with us as your people, That is, Lord, even with us here today, God, I believe working in every heart and every mind that is open to you. Lord, I thank you, Father, that, Lord, as we come with whatever trouble or challenge we might have in our own personal lives today, God, that nothing is beyond your power. Lord, that you can heal sick bodies, Lord. You can encourage those that are brokenhearted. Father, you can give wisdom to those, oh, Lord, that need wisdom. You can Forgive and save and wash us of our sins, O Lord, as we come to you in faith and repentance. Lord, that you can fill us with hope as we await your coming, Lord. Because for as sure as your scripture is true that you would come into this world physically and live and die and resurrect, Lord, you've also said that you're coming again for your people, Lord. God, let us be found faithful and ready. God, I ask, O Lord, also for Portugal and I pray for the People of Portugal, I pray, O Lord, for the Portuguese-speaking world. I ask, O Lord, that you would, in fact, pour out your spirit upon our church there. Pour out your spirit upon our pastors and leaders. Pour out your spirit upon the students in our school, Lord Jesus. God, I pray, O Lord, that you would bless and anoint, that you would continue to open hearts and minds and lives of people, Lord, in that nation and beyond, to the truth and the good news that you have come, that we may have life and life more abundantly. Father, we thank you for this, and I thank you for this church, God, and Lord, for their heart, for the kingdom of God. I thank you, Lord, for Lord their heart to uh, send and to support missionaries, not just in Portugal, but all around the world. Lord, would you bless this, your people, God, on this morning, and we'll give you praise and honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray.